Hey, hey, Zuby, good to meet you, man. Hey, how's it going, Matt? You good? I'm well. Um, I am a couple blocks from the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and and I'm I'm still literally sort of surrounded by barbed wire fencing. So it it it's a symbol that makes me very sad about my country. But uh, I think you guys got your problems across the pond as well. I suspect. Dude, man, it's uh it's beyond normal any normal type of problems, man. We may as well be living. We're essentially living in an authoritarian dictatorship right now, and I'm not yeah. even exaggerating. We're living under tyranny. Um, they've made it illegal to, uh, it's illegal to go on vacation now. It's, um, they're trying to make it illegal to protest. Um, we've already had issues around free speech and, uh, or lack, lack thereof. We don't, we don't really have that. A lot of the protections that, um, Americans take for granted and that they have enshrined in their constitution and bill of rights, we actually do not have here in the UK and the majority of Europe. People think that there are, that they're equivalent but um, the the truth is that they're not. And in a situation such as what's happened over the past year, that becomes very abundantly clear. I know in various US states, they've also had um, massive infringements on freedom and liberty, but um, not to the extent that uh, people are dealing with here in the UK, also in places like Australia um, and other parts of Europe as well. Yeah, like uh, I, I think I'm calling it safetyism, but it's this sort of, uh... Um, authoritarianism that's wrapped in in caring supposedly, but it's it's such an inhumane approach to all of this. And I, I want to get into this, but we we could go down that rabbit hole because I know <laughs> you, you tweet about this all day. Um, but what I really want to talk about is you got a new album coming out, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and uh, I want to hear about that to the extent you're willing to talk about it. When does it do? Awesome. Um, so for everyone who pre-orders it um, through the Kickstarter campaign. They're going to get it, first of all, they'll be the first people to get it, and that will come in May. So the the music is done. Um, I recorded it all in January, finished off the mixing in February and March. So, um, yeah, the music is ready to go. So people will get it in May if they pre-order. Everyone else, it'll be June or July. I'm still, I don't have a set, I don't have a hard release date set yet, and I don't really want to do that until I've got um, some more stuff lined up. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be this spring going into this summer. So you're based in London, is that correct? No, I'm in Southampton. Okay, yeah. and um, in the UK, it's it's virtually impossible to travel. So you, whether you like it or not, you're sort of you're sort of trapped. You can't you can't go perform, and even if there were places to perform, is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, the, the UK is on, on a lockdown. You know, in the US, things are done on a state-by-state -state basis and even a city-by-city -city basis to some degree. Whereas in a place like the UK, due to the governance structure, things are really a lot more top-down. It's a lot more centralized. It's not like, you know, in the States, if you're in a certain state with very tough rules, you could, for example, go to Texas or go to Florida or et cetera. You know, you can actually go to other places where there's more freedom and less restrictions, et cetera. But over here, there's not an option, really. And um, now that they have banned international travel, essentially, as a blanket ban, keep in mind that 95% of the vulnerable population in the UK has now actually been vaccinated as well. So they're bringing in all these policies at the, at the end, right? At the, at the time where you would think, not, not necessarily I would think, but most people would think, okay, this is the time to lighten up and to... Um, open open things back up and start to return to normalcy but actually what's happening is that 
the more people are complying, the more they're clamping down, which is what I've been warning of. I've literally been ringing the alarm bell on this for a year, <laughs> literally a year now. I've been called all sorts, all sorts of nasty names, all sorts of slanderous stuff, false accusations, et cetera. Um, and the truth is virtually everything I said was going to happen has happened as I said it would. And people don't want to, you know, honest people want to acknowledge that. I've had a lot of people be like, man, dude, you like you were, you were right. Um, this isn't just about a virus, is it? Right. I've had people come back and say that. But a year in, you've still got these people in denial who are still there thinking that this is about the government trying to keep everyone uh, safe and healthy, which is utter nonsense. At this point, I don't honestly know how someone could still believe that. Yeah, and I feel like um, it's it's something that I didn't anticipate as someone that was also outspoken almost from day one, mm -hmm. worried about the unintended consequences of, of lockdowns. Um, I never considered it a sinister plot, but at this point they feel like they've sort of found the weapon to use against us, which is our fear of the unknown. Yep. And you know they've they've tried the the big government guys, left, right, center, wherever they come from, always sort of prey on our fears. And it strikes me that they've sort of hit the gold mine on this because in the United States, at least, a significant portion of the population, we're not protesting yet. We're, mm -hmm. we're still um, sort of convinced that if we hide long enough, that this thing will just go away. And it's, it's so anti-science, but, you know, uh, maybe by now we're starting to realize some of the unintended consequences and um, that you've you've documented so much on your on your Twitter feed, but I'm mm -hmm. not sure I'm not sure normal people think about economic trade-offs and and unintended consequences. They just they just know that they're afraid. Yeah, and the thing is, when people are afraid, this this happens all throughout history. Is that when people are afraid, um, the majority of people don't just embrace authoritarianism, but they demand it. Right? They demand it. That's why you get these bizarre reactions of people who are standing up for basic freedoms and civil rights and liberties being demonized, right? People are literally advocating to have their freedoms removed. People are literally saying, look, I've got too much freedom. My neighbor has too much freedom. Dear Mr. Government, please take away our rights, take away our freedoms so that I can feel safer because I'm scared. That's literally what people are advocating for. When they're advocating for house arrests, advocating for lockdowns, advocating for mask mandates, all of this stuff, these are restrictions on their own freedoms. No one has ever said that you have to go outside or you have to go out and socialize or you're not allowed to wear a mask or you're not allowed to socially distance or whatever, whatever precautions someone feels that they need to take. They're welcome to do that and I support their right to do that. The problem is with all of these people who are trying to force it on other people. Right. I've been saying for, for forever. Right. Like logically, if you are that scared or worried or whatever, like there's nothing stopping you from sheltering in place. Right. There's nothing stopping anybody from doing that. So people are saying, oh, you can't go outside because if you go outside and I also choose to go outside, then you could give me a virus. Um, and it's like, well, don't go outside then if that's your massive concern, let alone the fact that we've been living with viruses and pathogens and diseases for millennia, right? Our, our entire lives. This is un unprecedented. When we've, we've had, we've had uh, epidemics, we've had, we've had viral outbreaks and things before. We have them every year to some degree, right? The flu kills, the flu kills thousands and thousands of people every year. And no one in their right mind has ever considered any of these measures, let alone all of them 
to even deal with a bad flu outbreak, right? We've had SARS, we've had uh, bird flu, we've had swine flu, we've had Ebola, Zika virus, different things, like all of these things. At no level, none of them were lockdowns and house arrests of perfectly healthy people even considered. Now people are acting like I need to give a reason why I don't support mask mandates or why I don't support lockdowns or why I don't support house arrest. It's like, no, like you're the one who has to justify, you're the one who has to justify the position of me. I believe what I believed in 2019. I believe what you believed in 2019, right? Prior to 2020, we were all on the same page of this, right? If someone said, oh, you shouldn't be allowed to, uh, you know, you should have to show your, some paperwork that you've taken some injections so you can go to a music concert or football. People would have said, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that's crazy. And now those same people are advocating for all of this madness. So all that's happened in the past year is I've stayed the same and a significant percentage of the population has changed around me. Um, I don't believe that (laughs) your basic rights and civil liberties um, get superseded once that there's a, you know, a a virus going around, which I'm not even going to get into the numbers of like, if you want to get into the numbers, then that's a whole different factor as well, right? When you consider just how high the survival rate is. And the fact that the average age of death, not even of COVID, with COVID, is 82 years old here in the UK. 82. That's the same as the average life expectancy. So 90% of people dying are over the age of 70 and have pre-existing health conditions. That does not mean their lives don't matter or you don't do anything to protect them. It means having that information, instead of doing this stupid blanket, one-size-fits-all policy over the course of a year, which causes all this other damage um, to people and causes so many more deaths, why not use a precise approach to protect those people who are vulnerable? And then, you know, treating a 15-year-old and an 85-year-old the same way is dumb. Treating a 25-year-old and a 75-year-old the same way is is dumb. And I said, I've been saying this for over a year, um, but I'm not a politician. I'm not a policymaker. I'm not in these positions. I'm just a guy. I'm a musician who has a, a large account and isn't afraid to put my opinions out there and it, it just blows my mind, which is why I'm, you know, I, to me, the conspiracy theory is the mainstream narrative, right? Like the, the so-called conspiracy theory about wealth transfer and an authoritarian power grab, like that's to me, what's obvious, right? It's yeah. obvious. Like this is clearly not a, just about health and well-being and doing what's logical and rational and scientific and what makes sense. It doesn't make sense. You go to different countries. I was in Romania a couple months ago you know, outdoor mask mandate, outdoor mask mandates there, right? We know there's, there's nothing scientific about wearing a mask, walking down the street by yourself. But if you do, if you're in Romania and you don't do that, you literally can be standing by yourself on the street. And if you're not wearing a mask, the police roll up on you. Like that's not science. Uh, it's, there's nothing that's, that's just authoritarianism. That's just control. And, um, yeah, we're seeing this throughout in all these different countries. I, I keep an eye on what's happening in different countries and it's just different levels of madness. Yeah, I, I would have expected um, just because civil disobedience and music to me have always sort of gone together that that outspokenness that willing to to swim against the stream. I would have expected more musicians for both philosophical reasons and very practical reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that lockdowns fundamentally destroy your ability to earn a living. Um, you've actually found an interesting way to sort of hack around the system on, on stuff like that. <laughs> but I want to that I want to get into, but I can count um, the musicians, um, mm-hmm. Van Morrison, um, Eric Clapton, and I think Willie Nelson. Uh, there was this Wall Street Journal piece about 
a week or two ago where he said he's just pissed. And one thing that's interesting about those three musicians is that time is very precious for them. They, they love to tour, they love to play music live. And if you take away a year of performing from Willie Nelson's life, I can imagine that that's the most precious thing you could steal from him. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, other than those guys, I can't think of anyone else that's that's uh, beside you that's actually been willing to sort of say, this is outrageous and this this mm -hmm. only doesn't have economic consequences, but I feel like it has like emotional health consequences that that you've talked about, but so few people have like, Music is therapy. Like there's a reason yeah. people go to live shows. There's something about that 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 that's re-energizing and and humanizing gathering with people. And they just took it away. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, man, there's there's a lot to say there. The truth is that you know I've spoken to musicians privately, and the truth is in music and entertainment in general, there are way more people who are who think more similar to me than people imagine. They just are cowed, right? They're cowed. Um, it's not the fact that, oh, like we're the only people who are opposed to this thing. Almost every musician I know here in the UK opposes the lockdown. They just do it. They just don't do so publicly, right? Um, music is, man, it, it's, it's, it's hilarious that people think it's this sort of like rebellious thing where people are uh, entertainers or let's say entertainment, academia, and maybe tech are like the three most group think sectors out there, man. Like how does every Hollywood celebrity have the same view on everything, right? Is Do you, do you really think that they do? Or is it more like, okay, you have to toe this line. These are the approved views. If you, if you don't toe the line, you know what, something bad's gonna happen to you, Gina Carano, right? Like we, that's the situation. It's the same in music. Music is totally subject to group think. Like if you're a rapper, if you're an American rapper, okay. Which American rappers are open Republicans? Can't think of one. Okay. Do you really believe that none of them vote Republican? Of course not. Tons of them do, right? These yeah. people are entrepreneurs. They're capitalists. They want lower taxes. They want gun rights. They want freedom of speech rights. So plenty of them are hold, hold Republican values. And I know for a fact some of them vote Republican, right? But you're only allowed to say you're a Democrat. Here in the UK... Um, if you're a musician, it's just assumed that you opposed Brexit. It's assumed that you vote for labor, et cetera. It's, it's homogeneity. It's groupthink. You know, in these places where they're talking about diversity, tolerance, inclusion, these are the places with the least diversity, least tolerance to opposing viewpoints. Um, and they're extremely exclusive in many ways. And I'm, I'm blessed to be someone, maybe it's just my personality type and I guess some of my experiences, which is that. I really don't care about fitting in with a crowd. I just don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to do something or say something just because a lot of people are doing it or saying it. That's just how I am. And I've been like that for a while. And, um, but most people are just not like that. You know, most people will go with the herd. They'll, they'll blow with the wind. They'll do what is trendy. They'll do what's popular. And in the world of music and entertainment, people ultimately want to be liked. Most people want to be liked. They don't want to be seen as, uh, as a dissenter. Um, you know, they'd kind of like people to see them as rebels, but they they won't really do anything that's like truly rebellious in the in the in the true sense. They they'll still toe that line. So I think that's that's why it's like that. A lot of people it goes way beyond music. A lot of people are just they just feel silenced. Um, they they're afraid. They're afraid. That's really what it is. It's a lack of courage. It's fear. It's people feeling like they're going to get a mob after them. They don't want to be labeled. They don't want to be called 
They don't want to be called names. They don't want to be called a conspiracy theorist, let alone, uh, you know, a racist or a Nazi or, you know, all these things that people throw around out here willy nilly. And um, that's why you end up with this appearance of groupthink, even though that silenced majority is a lot bigger than it may seem. Even if it's a minority, it's a much bigger minority than it looks like on the surface. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember the guy's name. I'm not a huge uh, country music fan, but there was a pretty big name in country music that played a concert last spring, um, sort of at the beginning. We were two or three months into this, and he was so demonized on social media, I think he just like deleted his account and, and put his head down and, and waited for it to end. But, and and you mentioned Gina Carano, and and we've been, we've been having this conversation, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, a little bit schizophrenic on this. Do I want my musicians to sort of lean into their their political inclinations? And there's there's plenty of uh, lefties and mm -hmm. socialist anarchists that do that. Um, or do I want them to uh, you know shut up and play? <laughs> and I, I I'm totally schizophrenic about this because I was mm. turned on to libertarianism um, reading the liner notes on a on a rock album by a band called Rush. So. They, okay. they they had a very important impact on my sort of intellectual development. I I followed those breadcrumbs and read all that stuff. And, you know, my life would, would not be the same. It would not be as good, I suspect, if they hadn't done that. But on the other hand, um, you know, if if my favorite artist is is a flaming communist, I probably don't, <laughs> I probably don't want to hear that at the show. But yeah, but you it sounds like you started from like day one sort of expressing your opinions. And that that is your music. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. No, not at all. Actually. Um, no, from 2006 to 2018. I don't think most people knew what my political views were much at all. Um, it was actually 2018 when I started becoming a lot more outspoken with it. Um, like a few years ago, certain certain things came to a head. And, um, you know, I, I was one of those people who was more like, okay, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to polarize people, et cetera. And then, um, I, I hit my own breaking point and I was like, you know what? I already keep it mostly real. Let me keep it all the way real. And lo and behold, that's when my audience really started to expand. Um, but coming back to what you were saying before, I to I totally get what you're saying there with that sort of schizophrenic feeling, because I think we all know it can be annoying when you've got like these celebrities or musicians or actors or whatever, and they're kind of spewing all this stuff and it makes you roll your eyes. My view on it, you know, number one, I, I, I can't say people shouldn't do it because that would be hypocritical because I do put my views out there. But beyond that, I think before people are musicians or actors or celebrities or whatever, they are just people like everybody else. Um, their opinion shouldn't be held with, you know, Cardi B's opinion on politics or Beyonce's opinion on politics shouldn't be sort of like hailed as being infinitely more valuable than um, any average person's. But by the same note, you know, everyone, they're, they're still people. So everyone has a, you know, if they wish to, I'm kind of like, look, like anyone can share their points. My, but my simple point is like, if anyone can share their points, then anyone can share their points, right? It can't just be, oh, if you're on the left side of the aisle, it's totally fine to express your views or whatever. But if you're more libertarian, conservative, right-leaning, even just a moderate liberal, oh no, you're not, you're not allowed to, right? To me, that's the double standard. That's the thing that's unfair. Either it's like, okay, look, it's free for all, right? Everyone, everyone can share whatever opinion they want, have the marketplace of ideas. Or if you're going to go for a, okay, you know what, like, let's just entertain or let's just play sports or whatever the case is, 
then again, that's got to be across the board, right? If you're saying, okay, this person, if you don't want someone to wear a, I don't know, a MAGA hat on stage, then they shouldn't be wearing a, you know, BLM hat, right? If someone's, yeah, you know, if someone can wear a Bernie Sanders t-shirt, then you can wear a Trump t-shirt, like whatever it is, just make it fair, make it equal across the board. That's really what, what I'm about. And, um, I'm also a believer that good opinions don't fear debate and discussion, right? So in that sense, you know, I'm obviously very anti-pro-free speech, anti-censorship, anti-deplatforming, et cetera. And a big reason for that is because it's like, I, I don't fear, I think, you know, bad ideas can get, can get beaten by good ideas. So if you, if you let everybody talk, you let everyone discuss, you let everyone just debate, whatever, you know, someone could be a raging Marxist, communist, like full, full blown Leninist. And it's like, sure, they can share all their views. And then I can share my views and say, okay, this is why I think like, I think you're really wrong on this and this and this. And and here's why. And they can do the same to me. They can be like, no, well, I think you're wrong on this thing. And it's like, okay, cool. Like let those conversations happen. People can, maybe the two people having this discussion are so set in their views that they're not going to change their minds, but maybe the people watching, right? The audience can go, hmm, okay, that guy made a good point. That guy made a good point. I'll take that on board. I'll take that on board. And ultimately, this is how we all learn. And it's also how we all manage to empathize with each other, because that that is what tolerance is, right? In a, in a truly tolerant society, we do have to accept, you know, tolerance isn't just, okay, I accept and I can hang out with and deal with people who think like me. It's, okay, I have my views and people need to tolerate those even if they disagree with them. And I also have to tolerate yours even if I disagree with them. As long as we're not like, you know, fist fighting or shooting at each other or whatever, then that's all good because there's seven point something billion people in this world. We've got a whole range of political, religious, social, cultural, all sorts of views. And we need a way and some sort of system that we can actually all get on with each other. And I think honestly, we, despite all the problems, generally, I think actually we, we, we do that well and we're doing that really, really well. And with me, I just, I want to defend that. I want to make sure that it doesn't go backwards so that we're going backwards into this time of racial judgment and segregation and prejudice and judging people based on their immutable characteristics, all that kind of stuff. That's why I really oppose a lot of the woke stuff and the identity politics stuff, because to me, it's just, it's genuinely a regression, right? It's going, it's going backwards in time to when those were the things that were really important rather than people's hearts, people's minds, and people's characters. I'm hoping that I use the word tolerance, and, and I use that word a lot, and unfortunately all of these words now have multiple meanings, and, mm-hmm. and you know, when the woke left uses the word tolerance, it actually means the opposite, um, and, and you could apply that to other words they use, but I, I think that's the sort of core of, of human cooperation is, is some sort of tolerance and empathy for people that are nothing like you, Mm-hmm. And you, you don't you don't know anything about them. But it to me, this is where my sort of libertarianism comes from, because there's you know, you have two choices and, and apply it to COVID or apply it to life. Generally, you can cooperate mm-hmm. and voluntarily come together and do beautiful things together. And, and um, when we do that, the, the outcome is so much bigger than any one of us could have done. Or you can go your own way. And to me, that's what tolerance is like. You don't you don't have to appreciate who I am or what I do. You just have to not hurt me or take my stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to me, like I'm hoping that the counter revolution is exactly what you're talking about, that that we've we've gone so far down this rabbit hole of intolerance and authoritarianism and wanting 
um, to be able to decide for our neighbor how they live their lives. Um, and I'm hoping particularly young people sort of react against that viscerally and say, you know what, that's that's awful. That that sounds like a hellish life to me. Maybe we should just learn to live together and not worry so much about how other people are living their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Agreed. And you know, and with me, I think some of it has come from my own personal background, right? Growing up in various countries with very different cultures. So I was born in England. I'm British by nationality, but I grew up in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia. My family background's originally from Nigeria. I was in the American schooling system up until fifth grade. So I learned from early on, like I truly experienced just natural diversity from the, from the very beginning, right? I'm Christian, Christian family, growing up in a very, very predominantly Islamic country surrounded by people of all ages, ethnicities, um, races, belief systems, whatever. Like even in my preschool class, we had we had people of all different skin colors. We had people from Christian families, um, Muslim families, Hindu families, Buddhist families, atheist families, like everything. So from day one, I've always just been like, hey, these are just like my friends. These are other people whatever, um, that's it, right? Like it was, it was never a thing. That's why it's really, really bizarre to me how in 2021, you know, this part of what made me become more outspoken around 2018, because from 2014, 2015, I just started th- seeing things shifting sideways, people using language in a really different way. I started to just, just notice certain things that were springing up and happening in college campuses and the Canada, UK, USA. Some of this stuff, which people thought, oh, this is going to stay on campus. And I was like, no, this is a this is a sign of a societal shift here. Right. I, st- I started seeing people saying things and getting away with saying certain things that people normally wouldn't. Right. I remember when hashtag kill all white men was trending on Twitter. Right. I was like, wait, hang on a minute. How is that? How and why is that OK? Right. If you were to switch this with any other demographic, what would be the response? Right. If hashtag kill all black women was trending on Twitter what would be the response to that? Like any other group, but people people were justifying it and saying, oh, this is okay because this whole privilege plus power thing, right? Concepts like all of these concepts, you know, white privilege, whiteness, blackness, white fragility, like all of these terms, looking at you, Robin D'Angelo has a lot to answer for. Um, these were not things 10 years ago, right? Like people weren't having these conversations and using these phrases and behaving in this way. So I started seeing all this coming up and the way I'm wired, I, um, a lot of people, you know, sort of commend me for my, my sort of courage and bravery and being as outspoken as I am on certain things, but I can't, I almost can't not be like, I can't not be, I cannot look at myself in the mirror. I can't sleep at night if I see certain things that cross my line and I just, and I just ignore them like they're totally fine. It's the yeah. same. Like, I, I would love to stop talking about the lockdowns and the propaganda and the lying with statistics and the, inc- and the tyranny and all of the stuff that's been happening over the past year, I would love to not talk about it. Like I would love to just promote my album, make jokes, like talk about fun stuff, whatever. But it's just like every day it grates at me or every single day it grates at me. And I'm just like, I have to vent. <laughs> I have to put that out there because it's such an it's such an injustice. And so few other people are doing it that I feel a moral and an ethical compulsion to use my platform talking to, you know, over half a million people across my platforms, I feel a compulsion to say, hey, number one, this is wrong. 
But also number two, if you think this is wrong and you're not comfortable with this, you're not alone, right? You're, you're not alone. There are millions, millions of people out there who are like, man, am I, am I the crazy one? Am I, am I the crazy one? Like what's, what's going on here? I feel like no one else is thinking like this. No one else is speaking out. So it can feel very, very lonely. And I get hundreds of messages every week from people just saying, man, like, thank you for helping me stay sane. And thank you for articulating my viewpoint, which I feel like I can't, or even if I can, I don't have the same sort of platform you do, et cetera. So I think it's important to balance out this conversation because like with a lot of conversations, what happens is one side is it, it, it totally dominates. So with yep. this whole this whole COVID narrative, the the pro lockdown, pro mask, uh, forcing vaccination, like that whole perspective is being rammed down everybody's throats. It's I think it's happening in the USA. It's certainly happening in the UK, et cetera, right? And you're not hearing a lot from the side of like, oh, what about like the pro freedom side? What about the pro human rights side? What about the pro um, autonomy to what what goes inside your own body side what about right so it, it's not even so much like anti-mask or anti it's it's like pro freedom pro human beings being able to make choices do their own risk analysis etc and also being able to question the science being able to question the statistics etc there there are doctors there are scientists there are medics who are not in favor of all this nonsense going on but we don't get to hear from them a lot certainly not on mainstream avenues, right? Their voices are silenced or quietened down. And the ones who are in favor of the narrative, in favor of the agenda, those are the ones that get elevated. And then people are saying like, oh, listen to the experts, listen to the science. And it's like, well, which experts and which scientists? Because you can find science that shows that masks are not, <laughs> that are not, are not effective. You can look at data and the data points out, just look at the USA, look at the state by state data, look at the places that did lockdowns versus the ones that didn't, and look at the death rate per million with COVID-19. No correlation, no correlation. It's been, it's been a year, right? You've got all that data. Look at North Dakota and South Dakota. Look at um, California and Florida. Look at, I don't know, New York and like just whatever states you want to look at. And you'll see there's, there's very little correlation. You can look at the UK and look at Sweden, look at Belarus. Like we've got all these data points from all around the world. So I think that's why people rely on these shaming tactics and the bullying and the name calling and the harassment, et cetera, because they don't have a solid argument but they've totally bought into this narrative. And so for people to protect their own egos, they now need to use all these other tactics rather than just be willing to go, hmm, okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong or maybe the thing I thought would work didn't work. Like I myself, I, I, was a, I opposed lockdowns from day one. I opposed them from day one, but I was surprised to see that, oh, wow, like they really haven't made it. Like there's, no, there's not a clear correlation here. Even though I opposed them philosophically, I would have still thought the assumption would be, okay, surely the states in the USA that lock down and do mass mandates will have a lower death rate than the ones that didn't. And then you look at the data and it's like, oh, no, that's not nothing. even, no, yeah. nothing. Like that's not even true. And yet here we are a, a year later and people are still on this nonsense because they don't want to just go, okay, like actually we've got this information now and um, we should shift gears, right? We might need to, we should U-turn. Um, let's not just keep punishing people incessantly because we're trying to save face like let's actually do what's right and that's um that's a big problem it's like a huge game is being played yeah I've, i feel like uh we're we're stuck in this horrible political equilibrium where in order to uh backtrack or at least release us from all of these failed experiments uh politicians would have to admit that they got it wrong and and that's something that they they can't do because then mm -hmm. we start talking about 
the collateral damage in terms of, of human lives and devastation, and and they own that. Um, but and if, if if until someone can figure out an exit strategy, um, but but I take it that a lot of this uh, righteous anger. I watched your your Kickstarter video, and I take it that a lot of this righteous anger um, sort of fueled the the making of your new music. Mm. Um, is is that true? And and like, are we are we going to hear some of this stuff in the new songs? Yeah, yeah, not so much about uh, lockdowns directly, <laughs> but um, yeah, the past couple of years. I mean, so my last album, Perseverance, came out at the beginning of 2019, which was just before things really started to take off for me in terms of my audience growth and getting on all these huge podcasts like you know Joe Rogan, etc., becoming the British Women's Female Deadlift Champion, <laughs> all that stuff. You know, getting discovered yeah. by all these people. So so much has happened over the past two years. So this album, um, there's been a lot on my mind, right? I've been, uh, that's why I've been, been tweeting so <laughs> tweeting so much over the past couple of years. Like there's a lot on my mind. A lot of things have happened in the culture, in society, in politics, all these different things. So on this album, I definitely touch on, I touch on a lot of these topics. I touch on a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm not like a, I don't consider myself like a hyper political rapper, but I've always had social commentary in my music. So if people like the kind of content I put out there on social media, on podcast interviews, et cetera, then, um, yeah, I think, I think they'll like this album. I mean, musically it's super musically and technically it's, it's awesome, but also in terms of the message, it's, um, there's, there's a lot of real talk on there and, um, it's, it's quite provocative in its, in its own way. Um, so I'm really excited for people to hear these songs. Well, I think it's, I mean, we, we sort of misuse the word politics because I don't, I don't actually hear much in your um, music or even your tweets that are political per se. No. It's sort of, it's values based commentary based on your, your perspective and, and, and going back to the song perseverance it to me, that is a fundamentally libertarian song that says, um, that the world can be an awesome place if you take enough responsibility to go get it. And, mm -hmm. and my one, I know you're a big Jordan Peterson guy. My one beef with Jordan Peterson is that he, that he has this sort of dark and, uh, desperate worldview. Like, like the world is an awful place. And if you don't get your act together, no one's going to help you. And I, mm. I, I think about it in sort of a mere different way. It's still true that if you don't get your act together, you have no one to blame, but yourself. But, um, I sort of focus on the beautiful things that happen when you, when you bust your butt and you work hard. And, and I think about that, um, that, that to me is what I hear in that song of yours, that, mm. um, this is a beautiful thing. This isn't the struggle itself is it can be a, a, a f very fulfilling way to find meaning in your life. Yeah, most definitely. And the thing is, I think, you know, both of them are true. That's, that's the reality, right? The world is the world and life is a beautiful, wondrous thing. And people are amazing and they're kind and they're generous and they're loving and they're wonderful. But also the world is a cruel, brutal place. Life is very, very unfair in infinite ways. Um, people are horrible. People are cruel. People are murderous. People are vindictive. People are terrible. Like both of those things are, both of those statements are true. <laughs> that, that's, that's the crazy thing. So I, I think it's kind of like, and and I think on a day-to-day -day basis, on, on a month-to-month -month basis, we probably both sort of, we, we, we probably all switch between which one of those ones we're sort of 
focusing on, right? Like you can go outside, have a lovely day. The weather is sunny. You're enjoying time with your friends or with your family or whatever. And you're very much on that former category of like, yes, life is great. Life is wonderful, all that. And then, I don't know, some incident happens, right? There was just a mass shooting recently. You know, some, some incident happens. And then not just that, you go on social media, you're seeing how people are responding and they're being horrible to each other. Or like, you know, a celebrity dies and people are there making jokes about it, dancing on, and you're just like, man, people suck, right? Like, right. People, you know, so, so both of them are very, very real. And I think that, I guess, depending on someone's personality type and their disposition, the one that they lean on more or that they default to might be different. So, you know, like you said, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. I do agree that I think his, I think his worldview is, um, I think he tends more towards the the sort of tragedy of life more than more than someone like myself does. Whereas I, I try to lean more on the, the, the positive side, but I think that might just be, I think they're both totally true. And I think they're both necessary for people to be aware of. Um, and, but I, I just think like, that's probably a personality. That's probably just a personality thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's important to have both. I think it's really important to know and understand the, the, uh, you know, the fact, firstly, the fact that we're all mortal and that we're, we're all going to die, um, which some, again, some people would view that in a dark way. To me, that's one of my biggest motivators in life. People ask me, oh man, how are you always motivated? Like, how are you? I'm like, yo, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to die. Like I, hopefully I've got like decades and decades before that happens, but you know, there are no guarantees. I want to make sure I maximize my potential. I want to make sure I help people. I uplift people. I do what I can with my God-given talents and abilities and experiences to help elevate the world um, before I go. Whereas for other people, you know, that may cause them to fall into a slump and become depressed and think, oh, you know, there's, what's the point? You know, we're all going to die anyway. You know, it's become very nihilistic and all that. So I think, um, I don't think it's just about knowing the truth. I think it's about how you interpret, how you interpret the truth um, and how you, how you act based on that. Because and I, th I think that's really what leads to people being so different with the same information. I think that's how you get people who believe that, you know, you, you're you're out there in the USA and I'm in the UK. A big popular narrative, especially at this time, but it's not new, is that both of these countries are racist, white supremacist, sexist, patriarchal, um, evil, capitalistic awful countries with awful histories and you know everybody's a bigot basically right like that's a pretty popular narrative right like every you know all these isms and phobias and that these countries are just rife with them from the core systemically institutionally structurally everything america is wrought into the core like there are millions of americans who believe that and who who essentially promote that right um and it can be weird because two people can literally live in the same country and they could even be of the same sort of background, but their perspectives are so different, right? I know a lot of, um, you know, I'm connected to a lot of black Americans, for example, right? And some of the most successful people I know are black Americans, like ridiculous, like super successful, like got the amazing mindset, like they're just crushing it. Every like 100% victor, victor mentality, right? Like I've never heard them say, oh, well, you know, my ancestor was a slave and this and that. And like, they're just killing it. They don't care. And then I also know people who are like, well, you know, like everything is racist and everything is, you know, the fault of the white man and this and that and this and that. And, and I'm like, wow, these two people live in the same country 
and yep. they're the same, you know, sometimes they, they've got really similar background, even grew up in similar circumstances, but their mindsets are just world of worlds apart. So I think how people interpret the reality really creates their own personal reality and then also affects their experience and ultimately will affect their outcome as well. So when I was, uh, when I was uh, in my 30s, I survived stage four cancer and I, I never wanted to talk about it because I, I sort of don't like the, the people that, that dwell on these things that happen to you and, and life mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. and people get sick and sometimes people die in their 30s. I happen not to, but I, I took the opposite tact. It was, it was the most liberating thing that ever happened to me because it, it, it totally put a fine point on how precious time was. Mm -hmm. And so I don't waste time anymore. And I don't sort of pull my punches or, or um, sort of avoid risk because I might fail in, in a way that I couldn't have conceived of before I got sick. And, and obviously, spoiler, I, I, I didn't die. And I'm here some 18 years later or something like that. Um, but that's, I think that's why the lockdowns pissed me off so much. Mm. because they they stole a year of my life and I view that as a very precious thing because I still have things I want to get done and yes. and that's that's it is sort of a mindset and I you know I'm I'm always a romantic I see I see the upside in when when Jordan Peterson sees the downside and I was I'm always a romantic about social media and how it would liberate people and democratize knowledge and and allow us to come together and and create this beautiful, um, even global community on things. But of course, um, and that happens, by the way, you've mm -hmm. done it. You've, mm -hmm. you've built a community around a set of values, but, but you also see this ugliness that, that we didn't used to get to see. Yes. And now some, you know, bot account can say the most horrible things on Twitter. And you're like, is that really how bad people are? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit depressing. Yeah. Look, the thing is, human nature doesn't change. We're, we're the same people our grandparents, great-grandparents, ancestors were. We just have better stuff. <laughs> we just yeah. have more stuff, right? The tech has changed. But, I mean, if you... Okay, like, how long ago is... How long ago is the year 1500? That is, like, 500 years. So that's what, like, six people? That's only six people ago. Right. If you hear the year 1500, that sounds like, oh, my gosh, ancient, ancient. I'm like, man, that's six people. Like we <laughs> human beings have not massively sort of evolved and changed in that time. We, we've got the same emotions, the same cognitive flaws, generally the same physicality, um, the same relationship dynamics, the same tribal instincts, all of these things like they, they morph. But they morph based on the circumstance, but they don't really change. And I think that's something that people don't really realize. So when it comes to social media, I think it's just like an expose, right? It's just exposing. I, that, that's, that's one thing that's beautiful about it, but also is what's terrible about it is it's like you really are seeing, especially if you're on Twitter or in the YouTube comment section or something, it's like, okay, this is really how people, how people think and how people feel. And it's unfiltered and we've got access to way too much information, but it's annoying on one sense, especially as someone who receive, receives a lot of flack every day, but it's also like, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's good to see this, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe it's good to just be aware, right? So it's, it's out in the sunlight and, um, 
okay, there are some crazy people out there. There are some awful people out there. There's some, but there's also some wonderful people. There's some great minds. You can connect with them all. And the truth is everything is about, everything's about trade-offs, right? Um, there are very few things in the world that are all good or all bad, you know, there's maybe yeah. some things, but generally th things are, things are trade-offs. Um, half of this conversation, we've really been talking about not so much in this case because the, the safety part hasn't really proven out, but there is a, there is a trade-off between typically there is a trade-off between freedom and safety. Okay. So you live in a country where it's legal to own firearms, all right? There's more firearms than there are people. I live in a country where generally it's not. So what that means is there is going to be a trade-off. So there are way less shootings in the UK than there are in the USA. However, there are trade-offs that come with that in terms of freedom, in terms of liberty, in terms of, you know, um, I don't think it's an accident that the USA has never had a um, government go full-blown tyrannical, right? as, as has happened many times in Europe and other parts of the world. So there, there's trade-offs to absolutely everything. If you have a child and you you wrap them up in in a bubble and you disinfect everything around them and you do this right, they're more likely to become weak, like become a, develop a weaker immune system. They're more likely to have allergies. They're more likely to um, you know, like there's all this uh, safetyism that's going on, right? That's from people being overly protected, right? People are now afraid of. We probably grow up. Words may never hurt me. Now kids are saying. Words are violence, you know, words are literally violence and I need a safe space and I need a trigger warning from anything and any opinion that may differ from my own. So people haven't developed that cognitive immune system. And um, yeah, I just think we're, we're constantly dealing with trade-offs and I think that people who don't acknowledge that are, are, are quite a big problem actually because they, they see everything as a false dichotomy and a simple binary of this or that. Right. Yeah. So people are acting as if lockdowns have no have no have no downside. <laughs> right. That, that's the way the argument is presented. Right. It's either people are looking at like either we do the lockdown or we just let it rip through the society. Right. Like it's like there's a lot of middle ground in between there. And then, you know, and also and then also with the lockdown, you, you also have to think of like, OK, well, these are the pros. These are the cons. You have to weigh these things up. Right. And. They, they didn't really do that, right? No, no one sat there and said, okay, let's not even just have, like, let's not just have virologists, right? We need economists. We need philosophers. We need, like, you know, people of different, who are going to look at this thing from different angles and go, okay, well, if you're going to take this measure, these are the potential consequences in terms of physical health, mental health, people dying from other diseases, unemployment, long-term hits to the economy, um, effects on children, debt, all, like, there are dozens of downsides. And then you can also say, okay, and then these are what the potential benefits may be. Whether or not they totally pan out as planned probably won't happen, but at least have those conversations. Whereas instead what's happened is just this, this emotional knee-jerk response, very myopic, just like, boom, this is it. This is it. Don't even question it. You're not allowed to ask questions. If you ask questions, it's because you want my grandma to die and you hate people and you're selfish and whatever. And it's really very childish. It's really yeah. very childish. Like yeah. we need to get away from this juvenile childish thinking. You know, I, I think about the the trade-off thing um, in the context of music. And I, 
I happen to, and I, again, always sort of looking at the upside. I, I love the way that music, the creation of music and the listening to music is a, is a radically democratic process now. And, and I have access to uh, musicians and, and creators that could not have existed when I was a kid. I call it the, the, the music industrial complex. Mm. And there was, there was some gray suited guy that didn't understand anything about your uh, needs as a musician or, or your potential consumer base deciding for everyone what we got to listen to. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're very much a creation of that democratization. You, you don't have a record deal. You mm-hmm. don't have someone telling you what kind of music you can create, but you also don't have the marketing budget. And I, I love the fact that your your Kickstarter campaign is on fire right now. It's going and crazy, man. Yeah. Talk, talk I about it... talk about that, because um, <laughs> I think this is like, again, the beautiful opportunity for the people mm-hmm. that want your music to go get it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So this is actually my third Kickstarter campaign. So I did one in 2014 for my Year of Zuby album. I did one in 2018 for my Perseverance album. And then uh, last Monday, as we record this, I launched one for my sixth album, Word of Zuby. The first one I did raised about 8,900 pounds. The second one raised 15,000 in 30 days. Um, This new one is, as we speak, it's currently over 54,000. And we're on day number nine right now. No, day number eight. So in eight days, it's actually become, I think it's in the top 15 um, it's, it's, the, it's already the highest funded UK hip hop Kickstarter ever. And I think across all music categories, I think it's now in the, in the top 15. And this has just been, as you said, totally democratic. This is just my, my supporters, my followers. I haven't spent a penny on marketing. Um, these are just people who want to support me, support my music all over the world who are pledging, um, whether they directly want to pre-order the album or they just want to chip in some money because they like me, they like my message. They believe in what I'm doing and they want to support. And it's a beautiful thing. Honestly, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, you, of course, you maintain full creative control, business control, all of those things that are important to me from the beginning. All these things have been very important to me. And I was an independent artist before it was cool. Like It's kind of cool to be considered an independent artist now. But when I started out back in 2006, that was when, you know, it, people didn't even say independent. They just said unsigned and unsigned suggests that you're number one trying to get signed. But it also is kind of like a lower ranking. There's that divide between, you know, signed artists and unsigned artists. So kind of pros and amateurs. And um, from the beginning, again, just being an independently minded person, I was like, nah, I want to build my own thing in the long term. It's going to pay off in the short term. It's going to be harder. It's definitely going to be harder. But in the long term, I'll cultivate my own audience and I will own that. And even even financially, that'll end up being a lot better for me than taking another route, let alone uh, creatively. Um, you, you may know him, a friend of mine, Eric July. I, oh, yeah. I just, I just remembered another musician who's He's on my album. He's on my album. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> and and he did something. I, I don't know if you thought that um, speaking out was a good business decision, but it clearly was in hindsight, and you couldn't have anticipated lockdowns, but mm. but you, you basically built your own market. Um, and, and people were sort of into that. Eric kind of made the same decision. Like he, he decided to, to wear his philosophy on his sleeve. And, um, you know, during lockdowns, he couldn't, he couldn't perform live, obviously. I mean, there are very few places where you can perform, perform live. Um, Texas is, is allowing some of it. And I suspect Florida is going to start to, 
Um, so he did different things. Like he started, like you, he started a podcast. Um, and, and like you, I, I, he, he, he created a lot of music. Um, but that, that gets back to that resilience thing, right? Like nobody knew that they weren't going to be allowed to perform in 2020 until it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but you and he, I feel like you not only adapted, but you thrived in that adversity. Yeah, absolutely. 2020 was actually my, my best business year, um, despite not doing a single live performance and only releasing one song. And with both the thing with both myself and Eric is we are more than just musicians, right? We're more than just musicians. We use these various platforms, podcasts, YouTube, social media, et cetera, to do other things, right? I've, uh, I wrote, I'm an author. I wrote and released my first book in 2019. So if the music side of things takes a backseat or has to shut down, you know, I can promote my book. I can do my coaching. I can, I can make money in other ways, et cetera. And I think, um, Again, that's something I learned over time is the importance of diversification. One thing that really taught me that lesson was when I started, everything was CDs. So I've actually been through, in the 15 years I've been making music, a lot of stuff has happened. A lot of stuff has happened, right? People, Everyone was buying CDs back when I started. And then, oh, this thing called iTunes comes along and this thing called YouTube. And then later down the line, oh, forget downloads. People are, there's this thing called streaming and Spotify and I was there for the advent of all of all of these things. I saw how they impacted me and how they impacted the sort of wider sector. So I started thinking, okay, well, I need to diversify more. I need to, I already had merchandise, but I need, I need more merchandise. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then I was like, okay, well, even outside of music, you know, what other things am I into? Hey, I could write a fitness book. Like I've been doing fitness stuff for, I've been training for longer than I've been making music. If people want that information, let me put that out there. Hey, a podcast. People like my thoughts. People like my conversations. People like my voice. Why don't I start a podcast? So I'm just adding strings to the bow, adding strings to the bow, doing what I like, doing what I enjoy, doing what people find valuable. And um, another big mindset shift that happened for me was not minding which door people come through as long as they end up in the Zuby house. So whether they discover me through a podcast or through me breaking the British women's deadlift record or through a viral tweet or directly through my music or through my fitness work. I don't care. As long as they're in the house and they find something valuable in there, then I'm happy for those people to be there. So not all of my followers are fans of my music. Um, Not all of them are fans of my social commentary. Not all of them are fans of my podcast, et cetera. But most people there are, they like at least one thing of the many things that I do. And a lot of them like multiple aspects of it. And I'm happy with that. I'm comfortable with it. I think if you went back five plus years ago, maybe I would have just wanted everyone to know me only for my music, but that's changed over time. And I'm totally happy and comfortable with that. It feels, it feels like, uh, rap and hip hop are, are sort of made for, um, philosophical and political expression. It's, it's sort of a a vehicle that may not work as well for other forms of music. And so it, it seems like an obvious evolution to me, but maybe not everybody thinks that. Yeah. And I think hip hop has always been very entrepreneurial. It's always been a very entrepreneurial genre. I think hip hop and maybe punk rock might be the most entrepreneurial genres where people, you know, self-releasing your music is normal. Promoting on the street is normal. Selling your CDs out of the trunk or on the street or at gigs or whatever. That's just normal. Whereas in the worlds of um, some other genres, those things may be seen as being a little bit strange. Right. So when I used to sell my CDs on the street, there were other artists doing it. They were all rappers. I never saw a singer out there, right? Yeah. I never saw yeah. a, a country singer out there. I never saw a pop 
a wannabe pop star out there. It was just the rappers, man. Like hip hop, rap, hustle, those things all go together. If you look at rappers, you know, they've been coming up with their alcohol beverage brands or clothing lines or getting into movies and acting, whatever it is, hip hop artists have always been entrepreneurial minded and willing to go outside the realm of just 100% pure music and diversify into other things. And um, that's wonderful. I, th I think more artists should do it. I don't think there's anything. Um, I think some musicians have this sort of like purity thing of like, oh, you know, like that that's not pure, man. Like, you know, you, you got to You got to just do the music or whatever. Or they sort of take this pride in being broke. And I'm like, no, there's no there's no pride in in being broke. Like, I want to be wealthy. I don't hide that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a hustler. I'll do I'll do different things. I'll diversify. I'll go within music. I'll go outside music um, as long as it's true to me and I'm doing what I want to be doing. So let's uh, let's talk about the hustle. Where do we get more Zuby? Oh, yeah. Uh, TeamZuby.com is my merchandise website. So if you want to check out my book, Strong Advice, or you want to get any of my albums, you want to get any of my hats, T-shirts, hoodies, etc., TeamZuby.com. That's Z-U-B-Y. And then um, all social media, you can find me at Zuby Music. If in doubt, just search my name, Z-U-B-Y, on whatever platform you use, and you will find me. And the podcast is called? Real Talk with Zuby. Cool. Okay. Uh, I've kept you long enough. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're you're trying to keep up with your Kickstarter campaign, and uh, yeah. this was an awesome conversation. I appreciate Thank it, you. Matt. Thank you. That was amazing. Where can I get more content just like that? It's a great question. You're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, and click the bell. And if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in. Kibbe on Liberty, honest conversations with interesting people. Mm -hmm.